0: We are going to pray together and then jump into God's Word. So if you would, bow your heads with me. Father in Heaven, today uh, we're going to continue on looking at some teachings that you have given us in your Word that, as Matt said, have the ability to change our lives. So much about you has the ability to change our lives. For that, we're very grateful. Today, as we go into this, I know that for some it will hit them right where they live, and for others they'll think this is well past me. But Lord, I'm asking that you allow all of us to take something away. Maybe we find something for our own lives, and maybe we find something to help other people. Whatever your desire is for us, I pray that it be met. We make ourselves available for that. In Jesus' name, amen. A lot of times when I'm struggling to get a sermon started, just trying to get out of the shoots with it, I'll sit at my computer and just start writing. Oftentimes that's random writing, I'll write for a while, then go back and read it, and then I just wipe it out because it makes absolutely no sense, or isn't going any particular direction, and I don't like it, and other times I'll find in the midst of that writing a direction that I want to pursue. And that's what happened this past week, and here's the direction that, that I ended up chasing got to thinking to myself, what it would be like if I was 18 years old again and you were 18 years old and all of us were sitting in a, a college freshman sociology class together. And the professor of that class gave us this broad assignment to go home and write a paper detailing what it was like to grow up in our homes, detailing what it was like to grow up with our parents. You look around the room, I look around the room, we see all kinds of different types of people sitting in that class, and we think, this is going to be really interesting. The teacher tells you that you're going to have to get up and read what you have written, and you think to yourself, this is going to get really interesting. Partly because in your class, there are people from all kinds of different cultures. Well, as I was writing at my computer, I got to thinking about one of those cultures. A a young man that maybe is in that sociology class with all of us named Yosef. Who grew up in Israel and came to the United States just to go to college. Maybe he's in your class. So if you can get your imagination working that way, now I want you to picture Yosef standing up in front of you reading what he wrote. Maybe this is what it would sound like. I was lucky to grow up in a home with loving parents. There was an obvious love that they had for one another. They traveled together many weekends to Jerusalem just to get away from us. Dad said those moments are important for all married couples if they want to truly stay in love. Many of my friends did not grow up knowing that type of relationship. They only saw fights and conflicts. As much as they loved each other, they loved me as well and showed it in many ways. My father taught me to play American football, to fish, and to swim. I had the privilege of growing up in Tiberias on the Sea of Galilee. We would spend many nights on the boat, fishing, talking, and late. When others had gone in, my father would dive into the inviting water and asked me to join him. I remember the first time being very scared, but he caught me and held me the entire time. From that moment on, I wanted to swim just like him. Today, when it's dark and I can't sleep, I think of the cool water of the lake and long to be there with my dad. This summer, when I go home, he promises there'll be many nights on the water. My dad never breaks a promise. My mom, what a lady she is. She takes care of all of us, always with a smile on her face. Mom makes Dad falafel every Friday night. She knows I hate it, so she's always made American hamburgers for me. Now that I like. She taught my brother and I to love our heritage and our ancestors, not always the food they enjoyed. Family has always been very important to her. She also taught me to notice small things. Mom and I have a special tradition. When Dad is gone late at night, she and I walk through the streets of Tiberias. When we come across something interesting, we stop and notice it. That's what she calls it, noticing things. Mom says that we should do the same with people. We should notice them. Sometimes what we see is funny and we laugh for hours. Sometimes it's serious and leads to deep conversations. Those are hours and hours alone. Sometimes it's silent. I'll never forget the night she asked me to go out in the rain. No umbrella, no coach, just the warm rain. As we walked, the clouds opened up above us. The moon was casting an unusual light, brighter than anything I had ever seen. Today, I would say that the beams descended like a Christian cross. I don't know what mother saw, but it was beautiful. Neither of us said a thing. We didn't need to. My mother taught me that in the presence of real beauty, I should never destroy it with words, just soak it in. So we did. Together, they taught me to love the Lord our God with all my heart, all my soul, and with all my strength. Though they never made me wear the phylacteries that others had, we do have mezuzahs in our house. Each one is worn from the touch of our family. There's one that contains the scrolls of my great-grandmother, the ones my grandfather made for my parents as a wedding gift. My father says one day they'll be added to my home. They will accompany the mezuzahs he will make for me, and the bride Jehovah grants me. I look forward to that time a great deal. It was a great life. I hope to pass it on to my children and they to theirs. Along with them, I will ask the Lord to smile on my family and provide for us the blessings he has in store for us. Now That's just from my imagination but hopefully there were a couple of words in there that caught your attention. They would be Jewish sounding words. They wouldn't sound like something that you use in normal conversation. And I'm really hoping they jumped out at you, but if they didn't, here they are. It would be the words phylactery and mezuzahs. Most people have no idea what they are, but they're biblical. They come from a teaching in the Old Testament, and Jewish families understood the use of them very well. Let me show you where it comes from. We're going to go to the Old Testament, to the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, there is a passage that the Jews would refer to as the Shema. S-H-E-M-A. You can write that in the margin of your Bible next to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It is very possibly the most significant passage in all of Judaism. The traditions teach that when little kids were learning how to talk, this is the very first thing they would say. They were taught to memorize this passage as soon as they were old enough to memorize anything. Now, obviously, the word dada or mama would come out of their mouths, and once that happened, the traditions say, parents began to teach them this passage. It was that important to them. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. For the longest time, it was only verse 4 that made up the Shema. It would be written in scrolls and given to different family members. And this is the passage these little toddlers were memorizing and reciting and sharing with anybody that they could. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Through the years, the Jewish people began to stretch out this passage. They included things like what we're about to read, beginning in verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. That's where the phylacteries came from. A phylactery was a little wooden box that had a strap of leather around it. These passages would be written on those scrolls and placed within the wooden boxes and they would tie them on their arms or they would, if they were really bold, tie them on their foreheads so that everywhere they went, they were declaring over and over and over again, I love the Lord my God, my God is one. They wanted everybody to know what they believed. They wanted everybody to know whose child they were. And parents wanted their kids to never forget what they had been taught. That's the phylacteries. God said this is important. Now, not everybody wore the phylacteries, so God made another provision for them the mezuzahs. They were placed in people's homes on the doorpost so that when people would walk by, every family member would reach up and touch that little wooden box that contained these verses. The mezuzahs were everywhere. And every time they passed one, they were to touch it and remind themselves of all that God had done for them. There are some other passages that get added to this. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and finish. Verse 9. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Again, that's the mezuzahs. Then skip over with me, still in the book of Deuteronomy, to chapter 11, verse 13. Through the years... They would continue writing other passages, this is one of them, and placing them in those boxes. So if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Do you see it again? The phylacteries, tie them on your hands, tie them on your foreheads, put them on the door frames. God was teaching through Moses that it is imperative that parents teach their children about God. It is imperative that parents lay that foundation and then continue to build on that foundation year after year after year so that children get to a place where they never, not ever, forget or forsake the Lord their God. It is the role of parents to pass those things on. It was so important in Jewish faith and Jewish tradition that they would wear it on their bodies. They would put it on their door frames. It would be everywhere. Through the years, expediency kicked in. The teaching of the Shema began to change a little bit, still biblically. This is in Numbers chapter 15, starting in verse 37. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at, and you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by going after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Now all of a sudden it's just progressed into tassels, still reminders of all that God has done. And if you listen closely in Deuteronomy chapter 13, one of the things that God was teaching the children through their parents who learned it through Moses was that if you're obedient, God will be obedient in return. If you do what God says, God will be faithful to you, but don't expect His faithfulness in your disobedience. That's part of the teaching of the Shema. It is very, very significant. And it has never lost its significance. Through the years, though, again through expediency, you see some of that teaching change. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, would boil it down like this in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. I'll give you just a second to turn there if you have your Bibles. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Over and over and over again, we find a command in Scripture for parents to raise their kids up in the Lord. Bring them up in the things of God. Teach them the Bible. Don't ever let them forget it. That's a command that has been passed down from generation to generation, and it has never changed. It is still the job, still the role of the parents to do that very thing, to train up their children, to get them ready to go out into life, to get them ready to face the world. And the best way we can do that is by bringing them up in the Lord. Now, that sounds great. It really does. But for many people in practice, it's difficult. There's reasons for that. There are family situations, heritage situations, that make that very difficult. Personality conflicts can make it very difficult, yet the command never goes away. Train up your children in the Lord. When they're old, they will not depart from it. Teach them all the things of God. Remind them to love Him with all of their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. Well, I want to give you some tools from Scripture to help with that process today. We've been looking at this relationally for the past few weeks, just looking at what makes people tick. A few weeks ago, we talked about what makes men tick. Then we talked about what makes women tick. Brought it together last week in marriage. Today, it's in parenting. I just want to show you what the Bible says about this. There's some great teaching in it. We're going to go to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Paul writes some great words. He directs the first part of it to children. Children do have a responsibility in parenting. It's laid out right here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. I love the promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. There is no father around that does not love that commandment because you can boil it down like this. Honor your father and mother so that your dad doesn't kill you. Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long on the earth, because if you don't learn how to honor your father and mother, the thunder of God may be brought down on you. That's the way God points it out. Children, obey your parents so that your days may be long on the earth. And he even says this, I love this, so that it may go well with you. Now, Paul sums up a lot of the teaching of the Old Testament, sums up a lot of the teaching that we've already begun to touch on. And he does a great job with it. But it is possible that Bill Cosby does an even better job. This is from the the very first episode of the Cosby Show in the 80s. Would you watch this? Dad, I thought about what you said, and I see your point. Thank you. Thank you. But, I have a point too. Make your point. You're a doctor and mom's a lawyer, and you're both successful in everything, and that's great. But maybe, I was born to be a regular person and have a regular life. If you weren't a doctor, I wouldn't love you less because you're my dad. And so, instead of acting disappointed because I'm not like you, maybe you can just accept who I am and love me anyway because I'm your son. Theo, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. There's no wonder you get D's and everything.
1: Now, you are
0: afraid to try because you're afraid that your brain is going to explode and it's going to ooze out of your ears. Now, I'm telling you, you are going to try as hard as you can and you're gonna do it because I said so I am your father I brought you in this world and I'll take you out (laughs) now that's a great summation of what the Apostle Paul just said right there honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and that your days may be long on the earth because I said so I am your father I brought you into this world I'll take you out I love the way Bill Cosby says that folks that's a command given to children but children don't understand it unless they're taught they don't know what it means to honor their father and mother unless somebody shows them how to do it so part of that command even given to children requires parents to teach it so that their kids grow up in it by the way it's also a command that does not have an end that command never says honor your father and mother until you graduate from high school it does not say honor your father and mother until you're done with college or you have found your own way into life It says, honor your father and mother forever. That can be difficult for people. There can be some tough backgrounds in your past. There can be some parents that didn't make it easy to honor them. Yet the Bible still says, you do it. I'll tell you this, it's possible to honor your parents from a distance. It is possible to honor parents that have caused a lot of hurts from healthy boundaries. But the Bible still says, you honor your father and mother And we don't ever have the privilege of walking away from that. there's some teaching for parents that we really have to pay attention to in this passage. We find it in verse 4. Fathers, Paul says, and that could easily say mothers as well. Fathers and mothers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's how the Apostle Paul grabs hold of the Shema and sums it up in New Testament teaching. Parents, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the teaching and the training of the Lord. In order for parents to do that, there is something that you have to remember every moment of every day. You are the parents. It's your responsibility to do this. You don't yield control of your family or your responsibility to your children. You remember that you are the parents. And you don't exasperate them. Instead, you bring them up in the teaching and the training of the Lord. That can be tough because society teaches some things different than what the Bible teaches. When Tina and I graduated from college we moved to Wisconsin for the first ministry that we had in a little community called Richland Center, it was a great time there. I was 22 years old, Tina was 22 years old, very first ministry ever. We hadn't been there very long, only a few months, and we'd been a part of a Sunday school class in that church, and when it wrapped up, they came to us and asked if together we would teach the class. Are you ready for this? they wanted us to teach on parenting we were twenty two years old we didn't have children we were still children ourselves and they wanted us to teach it but because it was the first ministry that we had ever gotten into and they had asked us to do this i said sure and then i realized we are completely unequipped to do this i am a graduate of bible college and i got nothing they didn't teach us how to teach a class on parenting so this is what we did We sent out letters to a bunch of people that we knew had done a a spectacular job of raising their kids, and we asked them to just send back to us the different keys that they used to make that happen, and folks responded. We got this huge file of letters that came back to us, so every week we would pull one out and we would teach off of the keys that those people had given us. Over and over and over again, what we saw was people saying, we raised our kids in the Lord. We made sure that that was of the utmost importance in their life. So we brought them up in the Lord. But we needed a few other practical things to help with that. And and just as we were getting started in the class, Focus on the Family offered a conference in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So Tina and I decided we would go up there and learn as much as we possibly could from that conference, bring it back and teach our Sunday school class. I am so glad we did. Because the principles that we learned there are things that I have held on to for the past 20-some-odd years and have used over and over and over again, not only in our own parenting, but in helping other people. I wish I could tell you who led the conference. I don't remember. I honestly don't remember. But I remember some of his principles like this. He said, if you are raising small children, preschool children, there tends to be two different mindsets in that process. There's what he referred to as the are-you-okay mindset versus the kaboom mindset. Here's his illustration. He said, if you would go to a skating rink and you would watch parents with little preschoolers there, you could see either one of these different approaches. The first one, the are-you-okay mindset, looks like this. Mom takes little Susie out there on her skates, and she's got real wobbly legs. She stands her up on the skates, gives her a little push on the bottom, and sends her off into the skating world and then goes back behind the half wall that every skating rink has and she along with dad watch little Susie. Susie is going to fall inevitably Susie is going to crash on the skating rink and when she does mom and dad run out there to Susie and say are you okay? now Susie is sitting on her bottom in the skating rink and up to this point not one tear has run down her cheek she hasn't thought about crying But when mom and dad get there and they start asking, are you okay, are you hurt? Susie thinks about it for just a minute and then she starts crying. And almost every time, that means mom and dad will grab up little Susie and they will take her back to the other side of that half wall and they will make her feel better, establishing a life pattern for little Susie where she realizes very quickly that falling hurts and therefore you should never fall. And if you do, mom and dad will be there and they will always take care of it. They will always come pick you up. That is not a healthy mindset. It really isn't. It sounds good, but it's not a healthy mindset. This teacher would actually say this. The parents that always swooped in to rescue their children, more often than not, did it because they needed rescuing themselves. They needed to be needed. They weren't wanting to be wanted by their kids. They needed to be needed. It was their own emotional problem. But then he says the the opposite side of that is what he referred to as the kaboom mentality, where mom takes little Susie out there, stands her up on her wobbly legs on her skates, gives her a little push on the bottom, and sends her off into the skating world. And Susie goes down. Mom and dad are standing behind the half wall, and together when Susie hits the ground, they yell out, kaboom! And Susie looks back, and she thinks about it for a minute, and typically will respond with that exact same word, kaboom! Kaboom! And then she pulls herself up off of the ground, brushes off her little bottom, and she starts skating again, figuring out that sometimes you're going to fall in life, and that's how you learn. Figuring out that you don't always have to be rescued, you can just get out there and do life on your own. There are some other great teachers that have added to that philosophy by saying there are mentalities within parenting that can get parents in trouble over and over and over again. They're not training kids up in the Lord. They're training up dependents. They're training up people that are not equipped to go out and do life. One of those mentalities is referred to as the helicopter mentality. That teaching says that parents that adopt it are constantly hovering over their kids, changing their life for the sake of their children. If little Johnny or little Susie forgets their lunch, mom and dad run lunch into the school. If little Johnny or little Susie forgets their homework after they've been told over and over and over again, don't forget your homework, mom and dad run it in there. They take care of it. The helicopter parents are the ones who are constantly reminding their kids to do their homework or to do their chores, never giving them any responsibility very far removed from themselves. They're always there hovering all the time. Helicopter parents make their lives about their kids, and when their kids actually have to go out and do life on their own, they are completely ill-equipped to do it because they've never had any responsibility. They've never had any given to them. They have always had somebody taking care of everything for them. It's not healthy. It really isn't. Now, there's another mindset that's the drill sergeant mindset that says my kids are never going to make any kind of a mistake because I'm going to bark orders at them all the time. I'm going to tell them what they have to do and they better do it and God help them if they don't do it because remember the thunder of God's going to come down on them and they're going to have to deal with that. So you have the drill sergeants that control everything that happens in a kid's life to the point that when it's time for them to go out there, all they're thinking is finally I can breathe. I can make my own choices and more often than not they will make choices completely opposite of what their parents would have wanted them to do because they're going to show them their parents that they have a mind of their own so you have the helicopter mindset and you have the drill sergeant mindset somewhere between the two there has to be the biblical mindset and there is it's in training up your children equipping them helping them understand what your role is and what their responsibilities are. And it begins to take on the form of permissiveness, telling your kids that it's okay for them to do life now, stepping back just a little bit and giving them some control, giving them some choices on their own. I do believe in permissive parenting, and I know that's kind of shocking to some of you, so let me illustrate it for you. When we were in St. Louis... I led a a men's ministry we had a lot of men and it was a lot of fun one night I, I saw a group of men that were talking with one another and they were obviously very frustrated and I've shared this story with you before but it's so good you have to listen to it again I went over to them to see what was going on and their daughters this was on the front end of a new fashion trend their daughters had all been shopping at the mall and they'd come home with these really tight shirts that exposed their belly buttons and these dads we're incredibly bothered by that. You want to know why dads are incredibly bothered by clothes like that? Because they were boys once. That's exactly why dads are bothered by clothes like that. Girls, pay attention to that. If your dad says go change, listen to what he says, because he understands the mindset of teenage boys. So these dads were all thinking... <laughs> you are not leaving my house dressed like that and they're trying to figure out how to communicate it to their daughters and their daughters are saying oh yes we are we just spent $340 on this t-shirt that's really tight and exposes our belly button so they said Phil what do we do about this our daughters are all wanting to dress this way I thought about it for just a moment and in Holy Spirit inspiration I said I think you should let them I think you should tell them that it's okay they all looked at me like I had two heads they said what? I said, yeah, I I think you should let them dress that way. It's entirely okay. You should say yes more than you should say no. Now, my daughter was a preschooler at the time, and so it was pretty easy for me to say that. I said, you should say yes more than you should say no. And they said, you've got to help us out here. What do you mean by this? I said, you go home and you tell your daughter that it is okay to wear shirts like that. But if it's okay for her to wear a shirt like that, it's okay for you to wear a shirt like that. So you're gonna put on a really tight t-shirt that exposes your belly button and you are gonna go everywhere she goes. You're gonna walk the hallways of the school with her. You're gonna go walk through the mall with her. If she is hanging out with her friends, you're just gonna pop in dressed just like that. I said you watch what happens after that because every daughter is gonna be terrified of something like this. (laughs) Big old hairy belly button following them around. Nobody wants to see that for heaven's sakes. So you go home and tell your daughters it's okay for them and it's okay for you and see what happens. My daughter has heard that story several times in the years that she's been growing up. I think that has a lot to do with why she wears turtlenecks and baggy sweatshirts today. I I really do, because she is terrified of that concept. Permissive parenting says we have trained up our children to get to a place where they can make right choices. And hopefully you've done the work to get them to that spot. I have three teenagers that live in my home today. That is a terrifying place for any parent to be. Tina and I have concerns about our kids, like any parent does. But you know one thing we're not real concerned about? The choices that they make. What really bothers us, keeps us awake at night, are the choices that some of their friends might make. But we know that our kids have been raised up in the Lord. We know that they have a mechanism within them to say, Nope, I'm out of here. We know that they have the right mechanisms within them to pick their friends well. And all three of our kids do that. They pick their friends well. We learn as much as we can possibly learn about their friends. We know as much as we can know about them. We have met them. They've been in our home. We are involved in that aspect of their life. But sometimes new friends enter the circle that we don't know. So we have to be certain that our kids have the right mechanisms to say, that isn't going to happen around me. That isn't going to happen around my circle of friends. And I am convinced, I know it sounds like I'm bragging on my kids, and I am just a little bit. I'm convinced that they will do that because they have demonstrated to us over and over and over again that they have been brought up in the Lord and they will make choices that are pleasing to God. Not just to us, but pleasing to God. And there's a lot of safety in that that allows us to be permissive parents. We don't have to be drill sergeants and we don't have to be helicopter parents and hover over everything they do and try to control everything they do because we know what's inside of them. We know their character. We know the way they've been trained. And I say all of that to tell you this, permissive parenting, even when you have raised children in the Lord, it can be tough and kids can make some bad choices. And I'm fully aware of the fact that my kids can still do those very things because the Bible teaches it. I want to take you to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now there is absolutely spectacular teaching in that story, enough that we could preach on it for a month and not exhaust all of the teaching in this story. So let me call just a couple of things out to you. The first one is this. When that son came to the father and said that I want to leave and go my own way, his dad let him. His dad knew that he had to go. The second thing is this. When his son recognized that he was going the wrong direction, two things became evident to him. He had sinned against his father, his earthly father, and he had sinned against his heavenly father. He had been brought up in the ways of the Lord. Third thing for you to notice. His dad did not go after him. He left him out there making his own choices, and he did not go there to rescue him. He waited for him to come back, but he did not go there to rescue him. I promise you that he prayed for him over and over and over again. I promise you that he longed for him to come home, but he waited for him to come back, and that is what God does with us. Therefore, we have to look at that same pattern. But You train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It means over and over and over again, those children will return and you be ready when they do. You be ready when they do. There's some heartache that can come. and You have to deal with that in parenting. You be ready when they return. There are some other patterns in the Bible that we really need to pay attention to, so we need to move into those. The other one that I really want you to catch is this. If you're going to be a godly parent, then you have to understand discipline. In the world that we live in today, there are all kinds of magazine articles and books that have been written about changing the concept of discipline, that you should just let kids make their own choice, you should let them pick their own way, you should let them have all of this freedom, and I do not believe that's what the Bible says at all. I believe that the Bible teaches that you have a job to train up your children in the way they should go, you train up your children in the Lord, and that involves effective discipline. I can say that because God disciplines us, His children. There are people that have this belief that also says that God is this loving God and He would never discipline any of us. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible says He does. And do you know why God disciplines us? Because He loves us. Do you know why parents should discipline their children? Because they love Him, them. That's the way discipline works. Just so there's no misunderstanding on it, I want you to see it in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. The Bible says you have a responsibility to discipline your children, and God had that responsibility with you, and He does it because He loves you, so you do it because you love them, and you have to figure out what that looks like. You have to figure out how to discipline. Now, anytime I talk about this, any time I teach on it, or any it shows up in my counseling office, this question is always asked, is spanking okay? Is that something that we should do? Because there's a whole lot of writing that says, you don't ever spank your children. Don't ever do that. Here is my answer to that question. You can write this down. You can quote me on it. You can send it to the newspapers. Yes, you should spank your children. Spanking is all right. I can say that very boldly and very effectively, not from my own opinion, but because the Bible teaches it. Let me show you four passages of Scripture on this issue. They're all found in the book of Proverbs. We're going to go through them fast. Terry's going to put them up on the screen. So if you want to write the references down, you can see this. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Over in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Chapter 23, verse 13. This is my favorite. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. <laughs> I like that. If you spank him, he ain't not going to die. Spank him. Correct him. And this isn't. There's kids in here right now saying, Mom and Dad, shouldn't we leave? <laughs> Chapter 29, verse 15. The rod of correction imparts wisdom but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. You see, that's what the Bible teaches about the issue, so I can say it boldly. Yes, spanking is a part of God's discipline. Now, there are ways that it is to be administered, first of all, in love and for the purpose of correction. Spanking given in frustration and anger is never right, but spanking given out of love for the purpose of correction and discipline has a very healthy place in raising children. It has a very healthy place in raising grandchildren. And it has to be administered the right way. So you make sure that you never cross the line into abuse. You make sure that you never go too far in the use of a biblical tool. And people have, and I'm the first one to admit it, a number of people have. But there are a number of people that have understood how it works, and they have used it the right way. Now, it's entirely true that not every child responds to that. So it becomes necessary for parents to understand the individuality of their kids. God understands the individuality of us. He disciplines me different than he disciplines you. He disciplines you different than he disciplines the person sitting next to you because God understands the individuality. And we have to do the same thing with our kids. Gary Chapman is going to help a little bit with this. He has written books, several books, over the course of 15, 20 years called The Love Languages. In his teaching, there are five. There is physical touch words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, and gift giving. Now he says that every person fits within one of those five categories. That's the primary love language that you speak. Physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, and gift giving. In the realm of discipline, Gary Chapman teaches that if you really want to get through to your kids, you have to figure out which one of those languages they speak and then discipline within that language. If they do not speak as their primary language, physical touch, spanking isn't going to do a lot of good. If they speak as their primary language, words of affirmation, you sitting down and telling them that you're disappointed in them is going to get right to the heart of the matter. If they speak quality time and you withhold that quality time by separating them from the rest of the family, that's going to be a difficult thing for them. Chapman's warning in that, though, is this. You have to make certain. You have to make certain that the crime fits the punishment. Because if you're going to speak their primary love language in the realm of discipline, you can leave some deep wounds if it doesn't fit the crime or the infraction. So spanking sometimes doesn't work where these other things will. And you have to figure out what that is. There is also a thing being taught by Kevin Lehman right now called reality correction or reality discipline. And by that, all he means is this. If you want to get through to your kids, and this really works with teenagers, then you get into their reality. You get right into their world, and you deal with things there. So parents here, I'm going to give you something. Maybe you, you did not know this. Cell phones, laptops, driver's license, iPods, those are not God-given rights in the lives of your teenagers. Those are privileges. And if you have to correct your teenager, removing those privileges from them makes perfect sense. That's reality discipline. Get into their reality. There are kids today that believe that if you took a cell phone from them, you have abused them in the biggest of ways. I can't text. I can't stay connected. I can't do blah, 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 blah. And by the way, have you noticed that your teenagers do not answer their phone? If you want them to answer, you have to text them and say, answer your phone when I call. Anybody else notice that? I'm starting a petition to change that. See what I can come up with reality discipline, reality correction works and don't be afraid to use it there are all kinds of different tools and, and options available to parents as you train up your children in the Lord but you have to remember that that is your God given responsibility so you do it and you find out what works and you apply it until your kids are ready to leave your home and go out and be who they need to be In our house, we don't have very many rules. Tina and I don't. That was handed down to me by my dad, and we adopted the same philosophy. It was also in Tina's home. We adopted the same philosophy when we started to have children. We just don't have a lot of rules. My dad is here today, so he can actually back this up, even though at times he bordered on the line of abusive when he... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) These were the two rules that we grew up with. The first one was this, and our kids have grown up with the same thing. We would be in church on Sunday morning. And there was no room for discussion in the issue. We would be in church on Sunday morning. When we got old enough to start making our own choices and and a lot of our friends were choosing not to go to church, I can remember sitting with my dad and saying, well, this person doesn't have to go to church because their parents said it's their own choice and my dad said, I'm not their parents. When we got old enough to have jobs on Sunday mornings and we could go to work instead of being in church, dad told us that that was not an option. We would be in church on Sunday morning. And we tried. We sat with him and said, hey, we, we have this chance to go to work. Dad, we just need to be there. And he said, you're not going to be there because there was no reason to not be in church on Sunday morning. So when we put all those reasons before him, do you know where we were at on Sunday mornings? In church. And here's what he taught us with that. He taught us to love the Lord. He took us through periods where we would test the limits in it. He took us through periods where we would try to say, we don't want to do that. And he said, no, you will love the Lord. And I will take that seriously. We were in church. I believe, I believe it is right. We have applied it with our kids as well. And a lot of parents will say, I don't want to raise kids that hate the church. And if I make them be there all the time, they're going to hate the church. I tell you, it's exactly the opposite. You keep them in church and they will love the church you still have the responsibility of raising them through those times where they're going to test your limits so you keep them in church because by keeping them in church for concrete thinkers, you are keeping them in love with the Lord. And I'm going to brag on my children a little bit more and I'll tell you how I know this works. My two boys, when they were in seventh grade, and I don't know what the magic number was about that, when they were in seventh grade, they both individually came to me and asked if they could join my prayer group on Sunday mornings group of 20-25 men, if they're all there, that pray together. And both of my boys said, we want to be a part of that. I did not invite them. I did not ask them to be a part of it. I did not prompt them. They came to me, and they asked if they could be a part of it. And they have been since they were in seventh grade. Nick will graduate in May. Eli is a freshman. They have been there all of those years. When Tina and I are gone, if we're out of town for the weekend, and our boys stay home, they don't miss that time. Not because we tell them they have to be there, because they choose to be there. They love that time. And both of our boys, having been brought up in the church and taught that you're not going to miss church, and they've spent a lot of time here like a lot of preacher's kids do, they do not hate the church because they began very early on owning responsibilities in the church and being involved in the church and being involved in different acts of service. And here's a little commercial, and I know we've gone long, but deal with it. There are ministries in the church like filling up communion trays that families can do together and you can teach your kids different acts of service and different acts of ministry by getting involved in things like that. And our kids have done it all of their lives. And today they love the church. And they love the Lord. And we know that beyond the shadow of any doubt because we know the conversations they have with us and we know the conversations they have with their friends. Both of my sons have memorized Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. From the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it and they want to be counted among those men because we didn't let them not come to church. Parents, listen to me. Don't give your kids that choice. It is your responsibility to bring them up in the Lord. It is not their choice. Somebody say amen so I'm not alone on this. Thank you here's the second rule I grew up with and my kids grow up with. We were taught by my dad, Dalton Ospa, who's here, to respect our mother. As a result of that, we were taught to respect all adults. If we were disrespectful to mom, mom never had to worry about dealing with it. Mom never had to take care of the issue because dad was coming home. And when dad got home, he would deal with the issue. It was very important to him that we respected our mother. As a result of it, we learn to respect other adults. If your kids learn to love the Lord their God and they learn how to be respectful to adults, almost every other rule fits underneath it. You don't have to have a lot of rules. Let those two stand out and you drive them home. And by doing it, you are bringing up your children in the Lord. I have seen it work over and over and over again. seen it work in our home and I have seen it work in many other homes the Bible is right. You just have to pay attention to it. I want to invite you to stand with us. I have preached long today. I'm fully aware of that. So when you, when you go out to lunch and you're sitting with other people and you say, do you think Phil knows that he preached a really long time? Yep, I do. We, we could have broken it up and gone some different ways, but I really wanted you to hear all of this from the Shema to reality correction, how it works. So I hope it it does make some sense to you. There are CDs like Matt talked about, CDs available. If you want to listen to it again, if you miss something, I do talk fast. If you miss something in it and you want to try to capture it, or if you want to pass it on, um, grandparents, if you want to pass it on, I'm not saying that I communicate it better than anybody else. I'm just saying it's the Bible, and it works. So apply it and use it, and God will do the rest. I want to invite you to pray with me. Father in heaven, I am grateful that you have given us Scripture. It helps in everything I'm grateful that the Bible contains all of the answers that we need would you help us just find them and use them Lord this issue of bringing up our kids and you it matters so much I'm praying that you'll strengthen every parent in this room give them great wisdom and great insight into how you want it to work put them on the same page so that moms and dads are in agreement and let them head the same direction I know that there are grandparents in this room that are concerned about grandchildren that are growing up in their family and they're worried about them. Lord, help them continue to lead their families. Give them great insight as well. Thank you for showing us how to do this by being our father. Thank you for allowing us to be called your children. In Jesus' name, amen.